1: Yeah! Yay. Yo, super excited for our guest today, man. Very intelligent, man. Very poised, very humorous. We got Jesse Kirschbaum here, dude. Tell us a
0: little bit more about Jesse. Jesse Kirschbaum, uh, really smart person. I first became aware of him when I was working in the the kind of tech startup world because he built his current brand and company, which is coming on 13 years old, which is truly incredible to kind of see an entrepreneur that's had that sort of longevity and success with their company. They were at the intersection of technology, brands, and music. So somebody that was very much into tech, seeing new agency kind of strike the middle ground of all these, to me, was fascinating. I think today, Jesse largely focuses on kind of creating very cultural relevant brand partnerships between big brands and musicians. And I think really excited to dive into that in this episode because I, I think tons of artists are constantly looking for ways to partner with relevant brands. And I think Jesse really illustrated some fascinating points about the history of how brand partnerships came to be through Run DMC and Adidas and how yeah. hip hop was really at the forefront of the integration of a lot of brands and music. And Beyond that, too, I, I, one other fascinating point that I really liked was that now a co-sign from a major brand is is actually a good look in the same right. way that a co-sign from a major artist is. I think it's right. just a mechanism of credibility. It's, it's a super valuable thing. So whether you're an artist, you're a brand, tons of incredible knowledge as far as how to navigate the landscape between the two. Before founding New, he was also the uh, he was a booking agent, so had tons of experience, worked with tons of notable artists. Uh, Clips, clips, J. Cole, logic. uh, I mean, the list goes on and on. He dives into all of it in this episode. Uh, if you guys don't follow Jesse already online, be sure to check out his company's website, new agency (NUE agency to search that in Google. And then also check out his newsletter beats and bites. He sends out a weekly newsletter where he curates some of his favorite industry news and sheds some, uh, some of his own commentary there as well. So super valuable resource. No, we're all hungry for valuable resources and how to stay ahead of the game in the music industry. So that newsletter is definitely one of them. What do you think about the episode, Jordan? Well, we go over two things that we haven't gone over
1: yet since the inception of this podcast, which is we go over booking agents and what their responsibility is and what that lifestyle is like. But we also go into brands, branding, and the things that you have to think about when you're someone who brands and when you're an artist who wants a branding opportunity. So I think he, you know, I told him this after we recorded, I think he lays everything out in a very logical way and in a way that our listeners can actually follow and gain insight from. Um, this is one of those sweet spot episodes where you and I asked the, the, the right questions and he answered them in exactly the right way. So I'm really excited for people to hear it. And then, you know, hit me on Instagram, hit me on Facebook, hit me on text and just say what they've learned from it. Because I know I personally learned a lot from it because for the artists that I've worked with so far, you know, branding opportunities hasn't been something that we've super delved in yet. So, you know, at at some point during the interview, I was asking him questions out of pure curiosity myself. It was like, yeah, listeners, you'll learn from this because I don't know anything about this. And I'm able to ask these questions myself for you guys. So mm-hmm. um, that was my favorite part about it. And I'm super excited for people to hear this one.
0: Yeah, likewise. So without any further ado, let's get into the episode. Jesse, what's up, man? Welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today?
2: Doing great, Sam. Fresh off the plane from Martha's Vineyard, got that vacation flow, got that vacation brain feeling wavy out here. There there it is. That's that's (laughs) That's the energy. Big move for this podcast (laughs) right
0: now. Um, Super excited to have you on as a guest. I think I've been following your work for a while. Uh, Really love how you're able to kind of bring together these disparate worlds between technology, big business, culture, music. So really excited to uh, pick apart a lot of those different layers. For starters, though, I think I know... You've been running your business now for almost 13 years, but I think before you founded the business, New Agency, in 2007, you were a booking agent. So could you just talk a little bit about the uh, your experience as a booking agent and how that actually led you to found New Agency?
2: Yeah, I cut my teeth finding and developing artists. Originally, even before that, I was throwing parties. So I was this party promoter in high school and in college and right out of college, I was convinced that the record business was going to be the wave, electronic music I thought was going to be the next big business in the industry. So I got a job at a boutique electronic label and basically noticed that we were giving away more records than we were selling. It didn't feel like a sound (laughs) business at the time. So I was going to go to law school. I just figured that was a good way to fall back. And a family friend told me, you don't want to be a lawyer. You don't want to go to court. You're not trying to do contracts. You're going to hire lawyers. You're already in the mix from your parties. You should be an agent. That's the best way to learn the ins and outs of a live business. So I started calling every agency I could find the number to. And one agency uh, hired me. And then another agency just got funding. It was another boutique out of Westchester. And they hired me. And I was 22, and I was working at this boutique called American Talent Agency, and I was trying to sign acts. The promise was, if you come to this agency, you can skip the mailroom. It's one of the big perks of not going to the William Morris's and the CAA's, which will take 8 years, 10 years of your life, you know, working your way up. I went the boutique route, and at 22, I was lucky enough to sign a group called The Clips. And they went number two on the pop charts. And from there, as an agent, my career really took off. So as a booking agent, I was finding and developing artists, meeting a lot of talent. I tried to sign different acts like the Yin Yang Twins and Sean Paul, and I was doing deals for all of these acts left and right. And I met these people in Europe that were launching a video game that needed talent. And lo and behold, they were launching this video game startup, and they Brought me in to book the talent for it. And we got them Fergie from the Black Eyed Peas. And then all of a sudden, they did their big launch party. And I brought them Pharrell and Busta and the Clips and Mini-Me and Sting and Jamiroquai. And it was this big launch party for this tech company in London. I flew out for it. And they said, when we launch in America, we want to hire you. So I went to the video game business in LA, worked for this company, and then, after all that was said and done, three years in that company and three years in L.A, I moved back to New York and started the company New as a booking agency, because that's what I really knew what to do. And so I found and developed talent. The first act I signed was this artist named MiMS. He had a song oh. Oh, this is wild. Yeah, that was, that was ringtone. That was yeah it was such a good ringtone. ringtone Just getting started. My friend was like, Yeah, you can work on my couch. I got this company, his name's CL. He had Digiwax out of Harlem. He was like, Okay, you're coming back to New York. Happy to help you out. I got this artist, Mims. I don't know exactly uh he's, he feels like it's taking off, but I don't have somebody to help me on the live side. You're a booking agent, that's your trade. Why don't you start working with him? And so he took off, and we started doing brand and endorsement deals. And then I met an artist named Wale on MySpace, and DMV. yeah. And at the time, I was had this vision. I was listening, going to conferences, and I was hearing that hip hop, the promoters wanted to see hip hop with a live band. It was feeling boring as a track set. And there was a lot of roundtable conversations about how do we put a <laughs> band behind these hip hop artists? And it was just not as common and not as frequent. And I was talking to Wale about that and Wale said, you know what? I got a go-go band from DC. I'll do even better. Like Wale always does. If you give him an idea, he's a wolf about it. And all of a sudden, uh, one thing led to another while is touring with a live go-go band and his live shows are just crushing. You know, he ended up on the cover of GQ magazine that first year he came out with Drake and Kid Cudi as the top three newcomers of the year. Because even though his records weren't as big as those two guys, it was because he took the live space so serious. And so my agency really started focusing on the college market because I thought that was a differentiator and the tech market. And I was signing a lot of artists in the college market, probably you know. I was representing Mike Posner, and then Chitty Bang, and then White Panda, which is now spun off to be Griffin, and Wale introduced me to J. Cole, and Mike Posner introduced me to Big Sean, and we signed Logic, and all of a sudden we were like in the mix on all of these amazing acts coming out of the college market, and we became the first line of defense. And we met all of these great tech companies and we met all these great brands and we started nurturing these relationships and we started to realize that the business was shifting and there was a big opportunity to work with tech and with brands and work with music. And so about five years ago, changed the business model, pivoted the company, and now don't represent any artists exclusive have the background of being a booking agent and doing 350 shows a month and that kind of grind and hustle, which is being a booking agent is a 24-7 gig. There's no days off. There's always an artist on the road. You're getting calls at all hours. And it was just didn't feel necessarily what I wanted to be doing (laughs) for the rest
0: of my life. (laughs) 7 a.m. on a Sunday morning? You know, I'm okay. artists still up from the night before? For a project that needs to happen. But, you know,
2: artists are very eccentric and they are so creative. But it just felt like I didn't want to be a 10% guy making a percentage of what somebody else was doing. You Really, I had to kind of like stand behind the artists and really prop them up. It's a very thankless job. You mm-hmm. never see any artists thanking their booking agent. And the stuff we were doing just didn't feel creative. Mm-hmm. After seven years of booking shows, it just felt like yeah, once you get Coachella and Lollapalooza and Live Nation deals and AG tour deals, you start to feel this is exciting. And then after you're doing it over and over again, you start to feel like a waiter in a restaurant, getting artists on shows, it became really monotonous, not to mention It's a really cutthroat business, right? All the major agencies were constantly trying to attack me, uh, take my talent, and that's kind of the nature of the industry. Uh, And it just was like, as a small boutique, I just didn't feel like I had enough leverage. And uh, I love where I sit at the table now, where we're as big as our ideas, we're a creative Mm -hmm. force. We're at the kind of forefront of brands and music and technology. And now all the agencies come visit us and call us and uh, send us tickets to shows and uh, tell us what's going on with their roster because they want us to help them, bring them deals, right? And we can bring it to them. We can bring it to management. You know this firsthand. It's up to us uh, to find the path of least resistance for our clients. And so agencies want to be really friendly. And it's just a lot better sleep at night. Mm-hmm. The way I look now at 40 <laughs> compared to where I looked at 29, 30, it's just a, a world of difference. Right. it's awesome. Yeah, I like reverse aged. I'll, <laughs> I'll credit meditation. I, I, I'll credit I love meditation. A lot of knowledge. Yeah. Living in LA for a couple of years definitely taught me the game. You meditate?
1: Yeah, I meditate every day.
2: Awesome. A- every almost day. every yeah. day over here. Yeah, I mean, hey, you can, every day is hard. and Almost every day is still very impressive. Yeah. But... Yeah, also having a lifestyle business that isn't 24-7, you know, all That's hours. It's tough in the music
0: industry, especially. I mean, I guess you skew, you work a lot with brands and find ways to tap into musicians, and we'll dive into that deeper. But it's the closer you are to talent, the harder it is to have that traditional, like, nights and weekends to yourself. Well, creatives, at least
1: for me as a manager, they just come to you at any time Creative creativity hits them you know so like as an artist manager like it could be super late 2 a.m and it's like yo jordan i have this really crazy idea like are you up like can we talk right now and even if i'm not my phone is ringing you know what i mean i'm i'm up at that point Mm -hmm. you know so i think it's um you know when especially in management when you're in a field where they don't take any breaks they don't expect you to take any breaks yeah
0: i mean how i mean you feel like because you've you're still working with talent. And I mean, uh, Oh yeah. But do you feel like, because you're now, what has enabled you to create more of those boundaries?
2: Well, now I'm not the first line of defense on these calls. Mm-hmm. Now I'm not the one that is getting the call about what went wrong with the show. Right. People need to be nice to me. If you want to <laughs> tap into my creative energy and my role, yeah. Right? you want me on your strategy team. Uh, you are going to have to, to, to kind of, hope that I'm going to come on board. It's no longer like my livelihood isn't dependent on, um, you know, these artists. And it's just a tough gig management in particular, like one of the golden rules of management is it's not if you're going to be fired, it's when and everybody knows that. So it's you're constantly on edge. If you don't take those creative calls at 2 a.m., somebody else will. And as the artists get bigger, it's even more pressure.
1: Right. Right. Be there. So what did being a booking agent teach you? What are like the things you took away where you were like, wow, I actually am really glad, despite the the hardships that I went through, I'm really glad that I learned these these things. Were there skills or lessons or
2: well, for one, representing a hot artist is one of the most exciting things in the world everybody's taking your call. <laughs> you know, you could get off a plane and I would have 300 new emails at all day with people trying to spend money with my artists. So it was a That's plethora awesome. of opportunities. <laughs>
0: that sounds nice.
2: It, yes. is. <laughs> it really is, it's a little overwhelming.
0: Oh, like, oh, not enough commas in this email. <laughs>
2: It was a great lead generator, and you're dealing with all facets of the business, at least the live business. As an agent, I felt like a live brand strategist. So I got to learn how to put on the events, how to market the events, how to make sure the events were the right look for the artists. These artists were brands, and I was basically touring them all over the world and getting paid and getting them paid a lot to do that. But each event, we had to make sure represented the look and feel of what that artist stood for. So it was a very complicated world at first in trying to figure out all the nuances. I mean, we learned all sorts of different things from there on how to break an act and how to sustain an act touring. And so it was a great learning experience and definitely uh, where I get a lot of how we find talent or how we find brands or how we find ideas or how we find superstar executives on the rise and how we find uh ways to break these brands. You know, I kind of look like I kind of feel like I traded in the way I found bands for the way now we find brands to work with if we're going to invest, if we're going to, you know, get buys, or if we're going to be part of their team and their ecosystem to try and help them break into the mainstream.
1: Interesting that you say it it taught you how to find artists. Because when I tell people that I'm in management, the first thing that they ask me is, do you go to shows? Do you scout shows? Um, And obviously, it's a different world now. You don't have to necessarily go to a show to think that someone has talent as a songwriter or as a musician. So how much of the A&R process in general do you think comes from scouting artists at their shows? Or how much do you think touring and their potential for to be a good live act has to do with their success as an overall
2: artist i think it depends on the artist mm-hmm. i think it depends on that artist's lane and it depends on the best way to break that artist right with wale there weren't hit records there were cool mixtape songs so putting a band behind him and touring him as this experience crushed but you look at artists like the Weeknd or frank ocean And even in today's world, these artists take off so fast, they might not even have a live show ready, Mm -hmm. right? Billie Eilish wasn't a performer. She just became this phenomenon, and now she's got to build the show to catch up to the the, the demand. Right. So I feel like it depends on the lane, but I think having a live show and putting on a great experience are super-duper important. But I think even more what's important is it's case by case, but going to shows, your question about going to shows, the more important thing to me is like the music business is such a wonderful industry. It's so dynamic. It's so exciting. The perk of being in the music business is you get to work in music. You get to go to shows. It's not like, oh gosh, I got to go to a show. I look at it from sure a lens of somebody that's in the business and understands the nuances and has a creative aesthetic as a producer of events and of content, but I love going to shows. Mm -hmm. When I was an agent, I would go to five shows a week and I freaking loved it. (laughs) Now in the Instagram world, you don't have to go to as many (laughs) shows because you could basically just check social media and get the download, but I still go out (laughs) five, six nights a week because I love it. And that's the perk of being in this business is that there's so much creativity out there. So going to these shows is like the playground to meet people, to experience art, and to find and create and come up with new ideas. Awesome.
0: That's amazing. So can you dive into New's current offering, the new new Yes, the new <laughs> new. I love that. <laughs> You got it. You get it, Sam. Yeah. All right, the branding's
2: working. <laughs> so our business model is three prong. It's agency, traditional kind of culture marketing firm. Where I wouldn't say traditional in the grandpa's agency business model, but an agency in that like it's retainer clients or it's project based, and we're being hired by relatively big brands and some huge brands and some startups. And they bring us on. And basically, we do two things really well, which are partnerships, partnerships with artists, partnerships with platforms like bands in town or other platforms that could help a product break and partnerships with sometimes finding finance. So strategy and partnerships, not only are we going to partner with artists, we're going to help you make this relationship as impactful as possible. It's not just going to be have this artist hold your cookie up in the commercial and get that done at the best possible price. No, we're going to help you work into that, what that artist has going on. Coming from a, a talent representation place, we're not looking at it as agency people. We look at it from a lens of like making this work on both sides so that it's the most authentic and like feels good on both ends right? That's where you're going to get the most out of the talent. That's where the artists are going to give it the most organic approach and organic push. And that's where you're going to ultimately win. And so we preach that. That's the agency model. The other part of the businesses uh, is IP, which is properties that we own, that we use our brand and artist relationships to fuel, like Crown, Mm -hmm. where agencies represent us. And we have Uh, A show that we do, Crown, just in case anybody doesn't know, is a staple in hip-hop right now. It's kind of inside the actor's studio with the biggest names in music, and uh, we do this basically on a monthly basis in front of a live audience. It's basically the cover story come to life. It's that interview that's long form that an artist, if they're releasing a project when they're the most hot and relevant They come onto the crown stage and they basically tell their story in front of fans. And it's this amazing experience for them because right when they're doing a release, they end up on the Kimmel couch or on Fallon for three minutes. (laughs) How are you going to really give the ins and outs of why you released that record and what it means and what that song was and the nuances behind how you got there? And so Elliot Wilson is the host. And he's our partner on the show and he's this credible, really goes to school on these artists, journalists. He lives here, right? He lives here and he lives in LA. Oh, yeah. Long. He moved nice. out to California and he does these interviews with these acts and it's long form and it's 90 minutes and it's been described from everybody from Nicki Minaj to little Wayne as therapy on stage. For yeah. Wayne, we did the only long form interview for the Carter Five. The day of his record release in New Orleans, we rented the House of Blues and we did it with both of BET and Title. So IP is another part of our business. We do a newsletter, Beats and Bites, which is a property that we own also that is kind of our voice and spinning that off into a book that's coming out in, in March and other other areas like that. IP is a big part of our business where we're tinkering with the product business and all sorts of opportunities to kind of use our marketing prowess to to market products or or content that's our own. And then the third area of our business is advising and investing. That's where we put our money where our mouth is. If we see a startup that can't afford our rate, we'll either take a reduced rate for equity or even uh, invest. And so that's a uh, and third part of our business. So it's kind of a, a trifecta model right now.
0: That's amazing. When it comes to the brand partnership side, um, I definitely want to dive in there because I know that's just a huge opportunity for artists across the board to create um, a revenue stream. I mean, in a win-win scenario, not only is the revenue, but there's relevant exposure. The brand gets good exposure, requires customers. I mean, you and can the really artist
1: cre- gets, to, gets to expose their brand in a right. way that actually boosts it. For sure. You know, they get to align with things that actually
0: boosts their brands. Totally. So with that said, I mean, can you speak a little bit about some of your, the favorite collaborations you put together? I know there's the Bel Air collab that's been pretty notable.
2: Yeah, Bel Air's fun because it's a newcomer category and Mm -hmm. they're willing to take risks. Bel Air Champagne, it's a Potter Sovereign Brands and basically what they're doing is they're partnering with hip hop in a way that most brands are too scared to do. Mm Mm-hmm but they're embedding themselves in the lifestyle mm-hmm. and they've done the market research. They realize that like, this needs to be like what Diddy's doing with Sirac. Mm-hmm. It needs to be a part of that artist's brand. And the more that that artist can incorporate it in their life and almost over promote, the more sales go up. Mm-hmm. And so they're partnered with Rick Ross and they're partnered with DJ Khaled. I mean, early on with Khaled and most companies wouldn't partner with Rick Ross, right? Some of his lyrical content, some of his vibes. So
0: much red tape.
2: Just might have some red tape for them. So they would leave him alone. Whereas Bel Air leaned into that, yeah. knowing that he's a staple in culture and has bet very heavily on hip hop. And so their gold bottles was a, a release that they just did. It's their uh, Brute. It's their champagne. And we put uh, Sway Lee and Slim Jim uh, Ray Schrimmer as the face of that. And mm-hmm. so that's been a year campaign. You see them all over the place with their gold bottles. And it's been really impactful for their sales and for both, both, you know, just showing the, the power of a good artist brand and uh, alignment. So that's a, a fun one. Uh, one that we did very early on when we changed our business model, but ran for a long time was Sour Patch Kids. Right. And Sour Patch Kids was looking to get into the music business. They wanted to do something in the emerging space because they were the emerging candy brand at the time. This was about four years ago when Skittles and Starbursts and Twizzlers and Snickers and all of these brands were way bigger than they were. They were the new kid. They came in the 80s. These brands had been around a long time. So Sour Patch Kids was trying to figure out how to play in the emerging space, and they brought us in to build out a program called The Patch, which essentially was housing artists in exchange for content. It became like this really well-thought-out experience for artists to stay at. We got real intimate. These artists would sleep in these houses that were tricked out And well done with Sour Patch Kids designs. And we sourced it with all local Brooklyn brands. We took over Brownstone in Brooklyn to start. And we had like local Brooklyn pretzels and pickles. And it just felt like this place where it was this artist haven. And Sour Patch Kids just started getting embedded in all of these artists' YouTube channels on their Instagram channels. It became this huge content engine that we opened a second one in Austin, Texas, and then a the third one in the Hollywood Hills. We had over 400 artists stay. The program won a Clio. It generated all sorts of different sales and impressions. You know, it's always tough to tell exactly the ROI sales, but. At the end of the campaign, and now Sour Patch Kids did some other smart plays at the time, some other partnerships, one with 7-Eleven, they did some billboards, they did some, some other partnerships with, like, Sugar, the, uh, the outlet stores, but ultimately, Sour Patch Kids became the number one selling candy in those markets, and at this point is the number one selling candy in America. I mean, so- I love Sour Patch Kids. What do you think about Sour Patch Kids?
0: My 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 keto flow, so (laughs) definitely love some Sour Patch Kids. I like, I I like like, that no Sour Patch Kids. You you like them, but you can't, you can't eat them right now. That's right. Oh my goodness!
2: I was working with them, and in the first six months, we had unlimited Sour Patch Kids. (sighs) And it's I almost
1: got, more of a negative than a positive. It's like, man, I'm, I'm just going to eat a, a Sour Patch Kids for, all day it at was that point. It
2: was so fun. I was having, like, I was just, we had bathtubs full of Sour Patch Kids. I had, like, five cavities in the first six months. I went to the dentist after bringing them in as a client, and I never had a Sour Patch Kids again. That That's was fun. it. I was like, five freaking cavities as a
0: grown man. I'm done.
2: So hey, man. Do you think
0: artists, I mean, I feel like emerging mid-tier artists, I mean, definitely, I think we're really starting to, at scale, kind of dispel the myth that, like, brand partnerships are only for, like, the elite mega influencers. There's this whole, like, rise of, like, micro-influencers. Um, you're seeing a lot of, like, mid-tier emerging artists and influencers get a lot of different brand deals. When it comes to, do you have any, like, tactical advice for, some of the earlier stage artists and managers that are listening to the podcast that can uh, enable them and better help them acquire brand partnerships. I mean, do you th- advise that some of these teams just start reaching out cold to potential brands that they see fit? or
1: Also, at what point in their career does it make sense to do it too?
2: As soon as possible. As
1: soon I feel like possible.
2: at this point, a brand cosign is almost as big as an artist cosign. Mm hmm. It validates an act. I feel like it used to be seen as selling out, working with brands and artists, but that whole dynamic has shifted, and now it's looking like it's a badge of honor. If this brand is working with you, it means you're legit to some extent. So how these influencers and artists can get brand partnerships is to understand what their brand means and then make content around that. If they're a sneaker, we just did a a campaign with Foot Locker for their back to school campaign. Them and Nike had this promotion and they we worked with influencers, we worked with artists, we worked with celebrities, we worked with athletes. What they're looking for are people that are making sneaker content that actually are like it feels true. The North Star on a campaign like that is the comments. Mm -hmm. Do the people in the streets believe that this fits? So if you're an artist or an influencer and you're looking to get brand deals and you're passionate about something, make content about that thing. And even occasionally, don't be afraid to tag a brand because they'll notice. I was in Martha's Vineyard this week and I had all this uh, Arizona iced tea swag and I posted a picture of myself wearing the Arizona iced tea <laughs> swag and I tagged Arizona they reposted it now all of a sudden there's a conversation between me and Arizona about other promotional opportunities and then they're reaching out do you want the sneakers and it becomes this conversation of how they'll find you micro influencers are extremely important to communities and bigger influencers with 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 cult followings or loyal fan bases or they'll listen so brands are paying attention to them it just needs to feel like this is something that's a real passion point so i would make content if i was an artist or an influencer around passion points and l- like basically have use honey to catch the bees and we're not talking about bees this time. We're talking about brands.
0: Oh, <laughs> got <him. laughs> <laughs> um, no, them. And then, I mean, so really just create the brands, create the awareness around your brand, around those brand pillars. And then, I mean, proactively, to some extent, have those conversations. Because I think until you're at like a certain tier, like you can't expect inbound to come. And you know that really well, working
1: for Gary Vee you know, doing what you did for Gary Vee and figuring out what content works for which artists and influencers and how that affects brands and things like that. I yeah, for sure. I feel like what you were saying overlap that a lot. I mean, it's
0: interesting too, because even in our approach, we, we just actually had a kickoff meeting with the new artists that we're working with today. And the way that we break down our, I mean, just for context, for listeners that aren't aware, like digital strategy and content for artists. And we try and work backwards in this overarching strategy where we first align around what are these core brand pillars, right? Pick like three to four things that we really want all the content we create to stem from. So there's some sense of consistency around this. And then the step beyond that is actually like the fan personas. So yeah, sure. It's like you have like hip hop heads if you're a musician, but if you're also very much into health and wellness and athleticism, like making sure you're shedding some light and creating content and paying attention and trying to resonate with that sub fan group. And then, the, diff, the, the nice thing about the fan personas and the, the brand pillars is then that ends up becoming like a filtering mechanism for identifying and evaluating potential brands. And then per your nice. point, like this is the mechanism of like creating the honey to attract the bees, nice. those brands, baby. And nice. then I would
2: parlay it, right? Once they start coming to you, that's where it gets really fun and interesting. And I would say, you know, as a manager, you know this better than anything. One of the other golden rules of management is in the beginning, basically your job is to say yes to everything or as many things that look, or good good looks as possible. And as the artists get bigger, you're, it's a lot less fun. Your job is to basically say no mm-hmm. to, yeah. to everything and to really protect that artist's time and value and brand. But when the brands are reaching out, be easy to work with, be understanding, be accommodating. You can't really reach out to them. I don't think you can go hit the brands and think you're going to get, the best deal possible. The best deals come when they come to you. So you basically need to attract that energy.
0: Interesting. I mean, being in this, like, I I feel like there's just more and more case studies that are validating the impact of air quote, like cultural marketing, partnering with the culture, tapping into music, music marketing. And um, I mean, at a high level, a lot of consumer attention is really organically consume, or i mean they're, they're paying attention to like celebrities musicians so i mean it is very it's a smart kind of like domino for brands to focus on the musicians that are like the genuine tastemakers uh i feel like i believe that and i think that and obviously you do too i mean your business is already built around it how do you see brands and the the decision makers in a lot of these corporate entities when it comes to their openness and willingness to start leaning into this as a kind of just bigger strategy for their marketing?
2: We're talking about music or are we talking about influencers? Because I feel like influencers are this pet point overvalued and hyped. Sure, Mm -hmm. you can find them and I think micro-influencers are actually a more interesting play Mm -hmm. for for brands than actual the influencers, whoever's got nice eyebrows and that's what they uh, are winning on in terms of like cultural experts. Mm -hmm. But artists are actually influencers with talent. Right. They're out there creating. They're on the road. They're touring. They're playing in front of fans every night. Their music is this Trojan horse that's getting them all over the world. To get a product placement in a song could put you in front of millions and millions of impressions that you wouldn't even have known about. So I feel like brands know that music and musicians are the holy grail in terms of how to cut through noise and how to make their brands embedded in culture and cool. It's just, I feel like a lot of brands don't know how to do it. The problem I feel like right now with the music business and music and brands is that there isn't a central portal. It's hard for a brand to get into music. Mm -hmm. What does that look like? We're sponsoring an artist. Are we touring? Are we buying an ad on Spotify? Are we doing a music strategy with an agency or a music strategy with, uh, you know, where the agency's prioritizing like CAA, CAA artists, or are we doing a music strategy with a record label where you're prioritizing Warner or Columbia artists? Like, how do you get what's best for you as a brand? How do you play and embed yourself in music? It's a hard challenge, and you need to know where to go, and you need to know how to do it. And that's why we stay agnostic. That's the beauty of being an independent agency is we're not beholden to at this stage in our existence Mm -hmm. to a major in any way, shape, or form. Being an indie allows us to be agnostic in what's best interest for the brand. But I'd like to see a portal or a better scenario for how brands can spend money in music, because it works right out of social media, who's, who's dominating the in terms of relevance on social media, a lot of the time it's music. But it's hard to figure out how to do these deals in that manner. And so I feel like there's a big opportunity out there, you so much more money is spent in sports than in music right now in terms of brand dollars. But first of all, Drake, by himself with one microphone (laughs) could sell out basketball arenas all over the world with no off day. He's Mm. bigger than the entire NBA league, (laughs) but yet the brand dollars going into the NBA versus Drake, it's not even close to comparable, but yet his relevance is way bigger. And then not to mention, I love NBA, but they're all media trained You're not going to get any real excitement. It just feels pay for play to some extent. Yeah, that's cool to work with athletes and and their role models, but it doesn't feel like what you see, it's a lifestyle play. And I don't know if it moves the needle in the same way music does when a music and brand partnership is done right.
0: So then, I mean, I think it's for that same reason that you're speaking to as far as like athletes being media trained that where the these brands, nobody wants to lose their job and go out on a limb um, start working with this artist that may have said something or that might not have the, the like perfect, pristine brand. What's it going to take for brands to see through that? Diversification. I feel
2: like you don't put all your eggs in one artist. Mm-hmm. You kind of have to play the, the the game where you're picking... A couple of artists, and mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're, it's like you, you gotta be hands on. Mm-hmm. I would, I think the future is these brands will start to hire chief music officers mm-hmm. that can come inside and help them navigate the terrain because music, as I said before, is such a dynamic industry. Every six months, there's a whole new crop of huge artists that people, they need it. This industry thrives off of new talent coming in. You know, all the culture heads and the bloggers and everybody needs that new artist to talk about and to write about in the New York Times. Everybody's on that (laughs) next new. So, in order for that to happen, you need to have chief music strategists in there that can help you diversify your picks, so to speak, and then how to strategize with those artists. But you don't put, I don't think it's a one off deal. I -hmm. think it's a combination of, Again, case by case, we could do the exercise. If this brand was going to launch, how would we do it this way? If this brand was going to launch, it'd be a different way. But for the most part, I think you got to kind of like spread the love around and kind of put some money on platforms and some money on whitelisting and some money right. on the this artist and some artist, some money on that artist. You see it really well in this Foot Locker campaign that just came out. It's diversified. It's emerging. It's for the culture. It's big, though. And even if one artist goes off script in six months, it's enough of a wave that it won't completely damage the credibility of the brand.
1: Mm-hmm. So what do you look for in a brand when you want to work with them? And what do you look for in an artist when you think they're good for
2: uh, branding opportunities? For brands, the dream scenario is long-term vision. It's hard to find. So actually, I would say it's either long-term vision or short-term vision, right? Let's make a splash this summer. That is exciting, right? Drop what you're doing. We're going to about to blow some shit up. Mm -hmm. Or if it's long term, right? Let's plan something that we know you're not going to see ROI in culture. In order to shift culture, it takes time. It takes waves. It can't just happen with one event or one party. Yeah, you can make a splash, but this news cycle is constantly flowing. You want to stay top of mind over and over again. So I'm looking for brands with at least a year, nine month to a year strategy or at least tolerance for that type of strategy because that's where they're going to win. If you can think a little bit longer term than immediate ROI, I can embed you in culture and Mm -hmm. that feels good because then I know I did my job. Right. So I like those type of clients. I also like brands that aren't obvious. Let's find a brand that you didn't think was going to be the coolest thing in culture and let's make them the coolest thing in culture. Mm -hmm. That's a fly campaign. Uh, I also like the campaign with the the brands that also are already in culture and they've done it all and they want the next new thing. Show me something (laughs) I don't know. So I... You know, I'm not going to say I'm looking for like one client versus another. All of it is good if they're good people to work with. They're passionate about what they're doing. And they've got vision. And they want to see results. I love to learn. So working with people that are smart and passionate is the greatest. In terms of artists, you want an artist that is going to be Understand that working with a brand is a very complicated industry and it's a complicated business and they're used to not looking at things the way they look at things. So you want an artist that's going to play ball, that's going to stay true to themselves, but also understand that sometimes a commercial is a hundred takes of the same damn (laughs) line. So you want an artist that's a professional right? or at least is going to have that mentality of knowing that these alignments with brands are going to bring new audience and new amplification and new dollars and new attention to their craft and to their overall brand. So I like working with people that like working with me and I want to work with artists that care about their vision and their long-term plans too. And so the nice thing is we work with hundreds and hundreds of artists on a regular basis. We know <laughs> who's was easy to work with and right. we can tell a brand like, Hey, save the headache on this one. It's very different than these influencer networks where it's all electronic and it's a software as a service and this is how you book the 50 influencers. It's a numbers game. You tell me you want an influencer that has nice hair. Here's 300 influencers with nice hair. I'm going to carpet bomb them all. And 20 are going to come back. <laughs> and you can pick the 20 and we'll pay them 500 bucks. Right. Sure, that's an interesting business. And maybe there's an opportunity to do that in music. But that's not what we do necessarily. Right. We are way more hands-on Let's embed, because that's the magic. The magic is when that artist starts talking about you off script in a positive way. Now you're really winning. When that artist is wearing your product in a a music video or a television shoot or on their next album cover because they dig you that much and you just did something with them a year ago. Mm -hmm. Now you're winning. Now you're really embedding yourself in culture. Now you're becoming a lifestyle brand. Now you're cool. Now you don't have to fool anybody. Now you're really there. And so I like brands and artists that have that kind of vision that are looking to do things the right way and not cut corners. But if we're going to cut corners, let's go guns blazing and do (laughs) stuff.
1: Right. Um, so you have to you have to be aware of two different sides of things, brands and up-and-coming brands, but also artists and up-and-coming artists. So essentially, you have to not only keep track of the brands, but you have to have your ear to the culture, like at all times. Um, I know for me personally, a problem that I have is when I work during the day, I'm also not reading about music enough. So when that's something that's, you know, one of the core tenets of your job, how do you allot time for that and also running a business
2: I'm a voracious reader Mm -hmm. and I get to speak to people all day long. If I have 50 phone calls a day, I'm speaking to these bright minds that are experts in their space. And so I get to learn what's great going on in the management space, what's great going on in the content creation space. Every meeting I look at is an opportunity to learn from an expert. So I'm constantly collecting ideas and information and new contacts and creating this kind of ecosystem of revolving information. But what I do that really keeps me on the pulse and has been a great marketing tool for me is my week- weekly newsletter. So my newsletter basically aggregates everything in the music tech and brand space. It's called Beats and Bytes. It comes out every Wednesday morning. And then I put my own POV on the front of it. So it allows me to speak from my perspective, on what's happening in the industry that week. Plus, I spend hours a week combing the trades for articles, podcasts, new apps, to really be able to give this audience that's continuously growing and bringing me new leads, valuable information. And in return, It brings me every week I get all new sorts of contacts. We're going to promote this uh, podcast on the newsletter too. But I also (laughs) keep my finger on the pulse. It's like going to the gym. It's like going to the trade gym. I get to see everything that's coming in and then deep dive. So I would say I probably read 50 articles a week and skim 1,000. I would get 30 magazines a month delivered to my house, Um, reading the nice thing about, I was just on vacation, I got to read books. Mm -hmm. I put the trades down, I put the podcast down, and I read books, and I feel like I learned all sorts of new areas, and I got to experience new thoughts and ideas, and I'm writing my first book, which is really hard to find the time, but it's just a great exercise. I feel like writing is my medium of choice, it's where my voice I can organize my thoughts and really punch home my points right so I love it as as a, as a kind of platform for me on a weekly level and you know with longer form hopefully in the next next frontier that's um, awesome.
1: I got one more question if that's cool. Uh, uh, <laughs> nah bro cut it nah. cut it off
2: it's getting rowdy oh, all of a yeah. sudden this is that I got a question too Jordan and <laughs> the day that the podcast hosts flip the table on. <laughs> now we're selling now we're <laughs> selling podcasts yeah I was gonna say that'll t-shirt. be in your newsletter Joe, you Joe saw Joe the whole thing academics. explode yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah
1: Um. you said one of the the first client you worked for was the Clips you talked about Sean Paul you talked about a lot of people that are in the hip hop space what is your relationship with hip hop and how did that end up being one of the primary genres that you work with.
2: I grew up in the 90s in New York, and hip-hop was on fire. It was this punk, voice-of-the-streets, new wave kind of sound that just epitomized what was cool or what I thought was cool at the time. So I fell in love with hip-hop when it was the first music I really ever fell in love with. And I know that it's a real honor to be included and to be able to work with these artists and to work in that culture. And I don't take it for granted. I realize that this is a dream come true to be able to... I had a show on Hot 97 talking about hip hop and tech and I was producing a crown with MTV and BET and I'm pinching myself because I was that kid in college with Word Up magazine and all these, (laughs) you know, pictures of all these artists. I know every word to all these songs. Like, I love it. I feel like hip hop changed my life and hip hop changed the world and it's just the beginning for hip hop. But I also know that it's not necessarily my culture. And even though I'm a hip hop head, I'm very respectful that I've been embraced and I never take it for granted. I never take for granted the fact that I get to work in the music business. And it's not that I just work in hip-hop. I definitely work with other genres. And I just personally am a, a, a hip-hop nerd. <laughs> I I just geek out on um, um the sound and the swagger and the entrepreneurial spirit and the bravado and the way it broke and what it stands for and how it's grown and where it's going and how it continues to reinvent itself and how the whole brand world is changing because of hip hop, yeah. right? Like really artists and brands have only been working together for 50 or so years. The first deal ever between a brand and an artist was the Rolling Stones. And, and now you're looking at it was a, like a Rice Krispies commercial, that went viral, but it was like gross. It was a sellout move. But now <laughs> you've got these entrepreneurs like Beats by Dre and Puff and Siroc and, you know, Jay Z and Title, where like they're owning brands and they're <laughs> making more money in the brand space than they are in the music space. And it's really like, it's become cool. To, to get checks with brands. And I chronicle all of this in my book. It really starts with Run DMC and Adidas. But the whole mindset has shifted where now all artists or a lot more artists are looking at brand deals as badges of honor and as a cool thing. And that all shifted because of hip hop. And so I credit hip hop in a lot of ways to changing the whole mentality of the way brands and artists interact, I cha- I, I credit hip hop for for so many things. I just I'm, I'm, I'm I can't say enough positive things about it. Yeah, it's got its 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 negative points too, but it's it's an amazing culture, and and I don't take for granted that I get the opportunity to work with artists and platforms, and and you know, being a kid from Brooklyn. I'm from the melting pot. Yeah. Where in Brooklyn? I'm from originally Park Slope. And uh, I just kind of look at things in this kind of New York-centric way. Yeah. Where it's about kind of making shit happen and we're all in it together and we're all on the subway going <laughs> to the same place. Yep. But – You know, I still understand that, like, it's taken me all over the world and I would never, never, ever disrespect it.
0: That's amazing, man. Well, I think it's really cool to see all of your lessons learned from the early days of you as a booking agent into the history of hip hop and your love for it and how that's really developed into uh, just awesome career and business that really enables you to play to your strengths, your passions and really kind of change the way brands and artists operate today and in the future, man. So uh really appreciate you coming on today. Uh, I think we shed a lot of light on a lot of really valuable topics. I also think, too, just really showing the diversity of the music business landscape and and how there really is no boundary with the music business and business in general and, and how you can really break through those barriers and help everybody win. Uh, so thank you so much, man.
2: It was a pleasure. Really, you guys have got a great thing going here. So both of you are experts in your spheres, And I'm glad you come together and, and do this. I think it's important. So let's just keep the conversation going.
0: Let's do it. Awesome. Thank you, Jesse. Thank you. Appreciate Cheers. you. Man, such a good
1: episode. Such a good episode. I actually learned more than I thought I was going to. Mm -hmm. Um, One thing, in addition to talking about branding and what it's like finding those opportunities, both as an artist and as a brand, was he talked about the life of a booking agent and how it compared. Um, I think a lot of people right now in the music industry, I know this is how I was at first. They just want to work, work, work 24-7. And and somehow, for some reason, that feeds us. And he, he decided to step away from that, start his own company. And he's still very successful, even though he's changed that mindset. So um, I know a lot of managers that reach out to me, a lot of booking agents, expiring booking agents that reach out to me. Um, they just want to work, work, work. They just want to do it 24-7. That's great. You know, and obviously there's a there's a place in life for that. Um, but I think we've been able to really get into the psyche of Jesse and figure out what drove him in the beginning and also what drives him now and how those defer. Um, And we were able to go over his career in a really organic way for people to really learn from. So I thought that was a super dope episode because of
0: that, too. For sure. Uh, Really fascinated, too. I mean, just I think businesses need to pay more attention to how they can tap into music and cultural marketing if they aren't already i think it's a massive driver in quickly growing brands and and really just creating cultural relevance creating cool if you will i mean musicians are truly the tastemakers and when done well this all feels just like a very organic collaboration a strong placement it's not like overly promotional so i think as emerging and mid-tier and even established artists are constantly looking for ways to generate more revenue around their their talent, around their their likeness. Brand partnerships are a fascinating way, and I think uh, Jesse shed a lot of light on some very good filters you can use to identify the right opportunities. To to really create an impact on both sides, which I found to be fascinating. Also, per Jordan's point, a lot of the the work-life balance, I think creating boundaries, super valuable, super effective. So super grateful for Jesse coming on. Definitely check out his his newsletter, Beats and Bites, his company, The New Agency. And one thing I want to say also before we get out of here is um, I read this book
1: called So Good They Can't Ignore You. And one of the things they say in it is, or that the author says in it, is that in order to be really good at what you do, you have to be on the cutting edge. So you have to know everything that's going on in your industry. And I think he exemplified that when he said, you know, he has 30 magazines that come to his house or apartment a month. You know, he talks to people 50 times a day just to talk about the culture. That's really what he's doing. You know, he's he's curating culture for these brands and for the consumers that end up buying these products. Um, and that really exemplified that, that part in the book for me. And it also drove it home because he's successful at what he does. So, um, you know, I say during the podcast, you know, I work a lot and sometimes I forget to I forget to, you know, read blogs or, you know, check out The Fader or check out Complex. And now I've got a whole completely different mindset on it because of this episode. So
0: for sure. Well, Jesse, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on tonight. Really enjoyed having you, Jordan. Thank, it's, you, it's thank you, Sam. Thank you, bro. Thank all the listeners. Really appreciate your guys' support. If you haven't already, please uh, really appreciate it if you guys could go ahead and leave a review. on whatever platform you're listening to the podcast on uh, it goes a long way in, in helping us grow the podcast and learn about what you guys really value and appreciate. So with that said, uh, you'll hear us next week. So thank you very much. Uh, May the music business industry be (laughs) yours for the taking.
1: Yeah, for sure. For sure. Thank you guys so much. All right.
0: Peace.